Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. We are in Mark chapter 10 this morning. As we continue to do our study through the gospel of Mark, um, thank you. I have my iPad this morning. Uh, one of my kids isn't feeling well, and I didn't really want to take it from him um, and, and spread the, the fun. So um, we got everything printed off on paper. But we're in Mark chapter 10 this morning, and we're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler. And, um, and this is a familiar story, but I, I think there's, there's a lot for us to, to see as this story reveals the heart of man. And Mark has been doing that all through his gospel is just continually bringing back uh, uh, the mindset and understanding of, of really the, the flawed and broken heart of man in comparison to um, King Jesus, who is coming to rescue and restore the heart of man. We even saw that last week in talking about uh, the divorce and, and understanding that, that God has a plan and, and the law has been put uh, to reveal the broken heart of man, right? Like God has given us his law so that, uh, not so that we can earn some kind of righteousness, but so that we can understand that we cannot live up to God's standard of righteousness. And so it, what it reveals to us is our, our, our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus in our lives. And the story today is, is just that. Um, it's, a, it's a revealing story to help us understand our need for salvation. Uh, for those who are saved and who pursue Christ and, and have a relationship with them, then it's a, a reminder of, of the brokenness from which we have come and maybe even the struggle that we continue in um, as, as we're not perfect people. Uh, and so don't think that this story is, is not for you because it does. It reveals the, the heart of mankind in the struggle that he has. We, we'll see here today a, a guy who, who misunderstands some truth he misunderstands. He's misguided. He, he misdiagnoses the problem. And that's what the rich young ruler does. Uh, I've, I've talked to people in, in the medical field, and David probably could uh, tell us about this, but I've heard some people say that one of the worst things ever is, is this um, WebMD, because now everybody's a doctor, right? We, we have at our fingertips, if we have a symptom, we just throw it into Google, or we, we pull up WebMD, and we find out the problem. But the issue with that, when you talk to someone in the medical field, is, is that people don't have a full understanding of the issues, of even the symptoms, or maybe the symptoms because of another symptom, and all these things, and we just don't fully understand. And so we misdiagnose the problems, although we think we can um, be our own doctors, but that's not the case. Something is missing. And, and that's kind of what you see in the story here today of the rich young ruler. is like he's diagnosed the problem. He's got a lot of things right and a lot of things going for him, um, but his understanding is just not clear. And, and so Jesus will begin to confront his heart, and we'll see that in chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by, say, by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to them, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, We see, see we have left everything and followed, you, and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with the persecutions and in, this, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word right now, God, I pray that it it really does speak truth to our hearts. Lord, as we see how um, revealing your word can be, I pray that, Lord, it, it challenges us. Lord, that, that we don't um, push it away, but, God, we allow it to, to mold us and, and to begin to, to work maybe on some of the things in our own hearts that we need to, to lay aside, Lord, to pursue you. God, so we just ask now that... Um, during this time that you're teaching, and Lord, that your word be our focus, and God, that your spirit be the one that moves, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we see in this chapter a few things, and, and one of the things I want us to see in the beginning is that this man has a, a misunderstanding of good. He misdiagnoses the problem. I said earlier, he has a lot going for him. And, and starting in verse 17, when you, you begin reading this story of this man who, who approaches Jesus, it kind of feels like there's going to be a different outcome. Like, if, if this guy is coming this eagerly towards Jesus, then, um, man, we're going to see this, this beautiful conversion story and about how he pursues God and how God's going to use him. But what we see is that Jesus kind of um, sees through... <laughs> This, this eagerness and, and looks at the heart and he confronts the sin of this man and the man leaves in sorrow because of some of the things that's in his life. And so what we see first is that he comes um, with the right purpose, with the right attitude, with the right um, posture, and even the right question. He says, and it says here, in, and, when Jesus, and when he was out on this journey, a man ran up to him. He ran to Jesus, Right? He, he's not, he, I mean, he knows the person to go to. He runs to Jesus. And so, as he knelt before him, 
He, he, he has a posture of, of humility before him. He understands him from hearing what's going on about this person, Jesus. He understands that, that there's something about what he's teaching that he needs to hear. And so he runs to Jesus. I mean, that's a sermon in itself. I mean, that's something that, that you could just hang on to, that, that we could talk for a long time about how we're to pursue Jesus by running after him. Our hearts are to be turned towards him. And this guy was doing that, and he knelt before him. He, he showed his humility. He called him good teacher. And then he even asked the right question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He has all of these things going for him. But Jesus, in his very first question, begins to diagnose the man's heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, stretch out the, stretch out the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, God sees the bigger problem here, where we might look at the story and say, okay, this guy, man, he's, he's doing things the right way. I, I, like, I wish I had uh, that kind of story as I came to Jesus, running to him, understanding his, who he is, calling him good, and, and, and asking the right questions. But Jesus begins to look inward at what's going on in this man's heart, and what he sees is a, a conflict. What he sees is the sinfulness. What he sees is the God doesn't understand even what he's saying when he calls him good teacher. So there's a misunderstanding here. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So are we right now saying in this scripture, the way you read this, is this Jesus saying, I'm not good, I'm not God? Absolutely not. There are people who want to make that case from this. Jesus is not saying that. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's kind of turning the conversation. You're calling me good. You have some understanding of these things. You know I'm, I mean, you've come to me in this way, and, and, and you're calling me a good teacher, but do you understand what good really is? And so what he says, he says, God is good. Uh, we know that, right? God is good. And because God is good, we know Jesus is good because Jesus is, is part of the Trinity Godhead. He is God's son. Mark has been making that case all through the gospel. But does this man understand that he is God's son sent to this earth to accomplish God's purpose, that he is in full deity, veiled in flesh? I don't think he does. And Jesus knew his heart didn't understand that. And so he says, so he, he, he begins to question him, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. Because he needs him to understand the person that he has come to. This is Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the one that can answer that, qu that question, how can I have eternal life? But the man can't see it as just a teaching from another religious leader. This is coming from the man who can accomplish it because of the deity that he holds, because that he is the Christ. He doesn't let him answer the question. He kind of gives this rhetorical question to begin turning things inwardly. And then he, he continues to, to, to pull this out. In verse 19, it says, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So he says, hey, you know the law, right? You, you understand these things. So let me tell you, all right, you know, let me throw some of these things out there for you. And this guy, 
in his, in his, really in his arrogance and self-righteousness. In verse 20, he answers, he said, and he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. This is how we know that he doesn't understand what good is. This is how we know he, he's missing diagnosing the problem, that he doesn't fully understand these things. Because he says, hey, you, you're throwing these things out, and I'm doing this. I've got this. I've got this. It's not much different than the Pharisees and their idea that I can set these rules up, and as long as I'm following these rules, I'm okay. I'm okay. As long as I show up to church on Sundays, as long as I, I'm doing the Bible studies during the week, I'm okay. But are we pursuing God with the right heart? Are we building up an, an idolatry of our own that says, I'm going to worship the things and not the person, because that's what this guy does. He says, uh, I've, I've got this. Um, he thinks he is good. He said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. For most of us, we look at that and we think, man, what arrogance that someone could, could say that. But for this guy, uh, think about who he is. Uh, we, we learn some things from the other uh, gospels and Mark and Luke as it talks about this, that uh, we learn he's young. Uh, in one of the gospels, we learn he's a, a ruler in one of the gospels. So he's this young ruler. So society has, has set this guy up to think that he has got it going on, to answer this question this way, because uh, most people think that if he's a young ruler, he's probably a ruler in the synagogue. And since he's keeping these commandments since his youth, that he has done so well that he's impressed people that have raised him up into a position that's normally for an older man to be a ruler in this way. And so by the world standards around him, he is doing very well. Like people are honoring him and looking to him to say, hey, you're doing a great job, man. Like, like it's, this is the big church calling the, the young pastor to come and say, because we're seeing what God's doing in you. We want you to be the guy. Um, and so he's getting these accolades. He's, he's wealthy. We, we see that in this story, that he has great possession. Um, in this day and age, uh, most people believe that your wealth was directly related to how much God was blessing you and how well you were doing things for God. It was a, it was a display of, of the way that God was honoring you back for the way you were honoring him. And so in, in all accounts, it does look like he can answer this question this way. It reminds me of Paul who says, I've got this list of things that I've done. Hebrew of Hebrews in Philippians chapter 3 where it talks about, uh, I've, I've done the things, I've kept the law. There's nobody that's a better Christian than me. But then he goes around and turns and says, but the gospel reminds me that I am nothing. That there's nothing compared to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. That there's something that's inside of him. But this man, he does not see it that way. His heart doesn't recognize just how bad he is. I think that we see this in, in our own world, that we, we all have the, the ability in, in us to struggle in this way. In our modern Christianity, there's a great debate among religious leaders and, and pastors who talk about how difficult it is to, to preach the gospel in places like the Bible Belt compared to places that are overseas or in other parts of the country where people are just outright saying they're not believers in God because what we have here in, in our Bible Belt culture are people who show up, people who have been born and raised in churches, people who have the religious answers like this guy has, and he, they feel good about themselves. But 
The, the problem is the flaw in all of us is it doesn't matter what list of things you put out there that says, are you doing this? We're not keeping them up. We're not living up to God's standards of righteousness. We are in our own broken and sinful and born this way. There's nothing, the Bible says there's nothing good in us. <clears throat> Romans 3, we talked about this a little bit Wednesday night, but Romans 3 is this compilation that Paul pulls together of, of, of some of the Psalms and Old Testament writings of what it tells about the human condition. It says it, it, that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. It's written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's pretty harsh, right? To, to think that, that that's the human condition. He goes on to give us some, some um, uh, imagery of what this is. Their throats as an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is the human condition. That that is where we find ourselves. That, that our bodies are, are going after sinful brokenness. That there's nothing good within us. We are as filthy rags. And this man does not understand that thing. He doesn't understand his goodness compared to the holy goodness of God. It's not the same. It looks drastically different. And so when he's pursuing um, eternal life, he's pursuing this teacher, Jesus, it's because he's trying to continue to build up his status in his earthly kingdom. He's trying to achieve something for himself. But the Bible says all have sinned, and if you continue in chapter 3, and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is trying to teach him what Romans 3.27 is teaching us then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So when you continue to read out what Romans 3 says, he says this is the condition, but this is the answer. It's not that you're going to continue to work to do better. That, that it's faith. It is where your faith lies. And so if this man could have understand when Jesus said, no one's good but God, if his answer was, yeah, but you're God, then he would have the right heart and the right mindset, the, the beginning of what we need. But instead, he thinks his goodness and, and is, is matching up with this and so that he wants to know what he can do to earn this. If we continue to read here, it says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. So this guy answers. This guy answers him and says, hey, I've, I've been doing these things for all my life. This very arrogant answer. And what does Jesus do? Man, he doesn't send him away. It's kind of like the children who've come to him. Um, he, he looks at him. And I love this verse. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him. That echoes Romans where it says that in our sin, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That he, he loved us so much that while we were in our sinful state, in our rebellion, that he would give his life 
for us. He demonstrates his love for us in that way. This is what the scriptures say. This is what Jesus does. He sees this guy's flaw and his brokenness and and the, the problem of his heart. And he confronts him. But he does this because he loves him. He does this because he loves him. I think often we don't confront people because we're afraid of what it might sound like. We're afraid of my offending or how they might take it. But here we see a lesson from Jesus is that the way he confronts this guy's heart is going to be harsh. It's going to be a little bit difficult for him to hear. In fact, the man is going to walk away sad, but what Jesus does is out of love. He does this because of love. John Piper says sometimes the most loving thing you can do is confront people or share the truth. It's it's to share the truth, not just confront people, but to share the truth. And the truth is God's word. And sometimes God's word is difficult for us to hear. But the the beauty of God's word is that it doesn't leave us in in difficult. It doesn't leave this guy in, in his sin and brokenness. It doesn't have to stay there. There's always grace offered that there's forgiveness and there's restoration and there's the beauty of what Christ is accomplishing and, and that's the, the good news of the gospel. But this man doesn't see this. And so Jesus, in his love, he confronts him. And he said to him, Teacher, of all these I have kept from my youth, Jesus said, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Jesus says he's lacking one thing. What is that one thing he's lacking? What is it that, that, that this man is lacking in this moment? He has the wrong priority. That's what we see in the second part, is that his, his priority is understanding. He has a misunderstanding, and he also has a wrong priority. What is he lacking? He's lacking the faith of Jesus. He's lacking the faith in Jesus. He's lacking what we saw last week at the end of the message where Jesus says that we're to come as little children. So truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a, um, like a child shall not enter it. He's telling us in this passage just, to, just before this that that's the way we come to Christ. This man's trying to come full. He's trying to come with his resume saying, I've got all of these things. Look how good I'm doing. I'm wealthy. I'm a leader. Uh, I'm doing all the things you've said to do. But Jesus says you're lacking something. What is it? It's faith in Christ. It's, it's the faith that it's not in your own works, but it's in what he's going to accomplish for you. It's repentance. It's understanding that, that I'm not living up to God's standard. That was the problem with this man. So Jesus uh, continues to confront that in him by saying, um, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus is trying to say, uh, he's not giving him a work to accomplish. This man, that's what he wants. He's saying, okay, what do I do? Well, Jesus is confronting his heart. So can you go sell everything that you have and get salvation? No. We cannot work for salvation. We all know that. It is through a relationship with Jesus that's putting our faith in him is confessing and repenting and calling on the Lord to be our Savior. So what is he doing by saying this is what you need to do? He's confronting the idolatry in his heart. He's saying your mind is that your priority is wrong. Your heart is in the wrong place. You want the things 
and not the relationship. You are about your kingdom and not about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is confronting that in him, and that is difficult. His possessions were great. It says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was calling him to forsake his earthly kingdom for the kingdom of God, to lay down his self-righteousness for the righteousness of Christ. He was trying to get him to understand that he's not good on his own, that he cannot achieve this, that he needs to rest and rely on him. I think this calls us to look inward in this moment Um, because we may look at this and be like, well, this is a king and a ruler of this day and age, and so this really has nothing to do with us. Well, can I bring it back to our level just a little bit? Um, There's probably nobody in this room that's not better off than that guy was in his time. The wealth that, that Americans have, even at our poorest, is better off than what they were experiencing And so uh, we can talk about our earthly possessions and find ourselves right here um, as we pursue the American dream, as we pursue our own pleasures and our own comforts and these things that that we're missing, um, that we're easily putting those things ahead of God and making those things our idols. That's what it's all about. That's what, I mean, that's what's promoted about the living in the greatest um, country ever, right, is, is that we have this dream that's before us, that we can achieve all that we ever want to achieve, and that we pursue our lives with these things as we get. But the Bible says that's not what the American dream is. The, but he's confronting that guy's heart with the same thing. And so we have to look inward, and I think there's things that we can confess. I think there's things in my own heart, in my own life, that, we need to re- that I need to repent of and seek God's forgiveness and say, God, I'm putting these things ahead of you. Well, I'm not seeking your kingdom in this way. I'm seeking my kingdom. And, and it may be things that aren't necessarily destructive, but when we just fully put them in the place of God, when we, when we sell out for these things, the worry, our priority is in the wrong place. Our heart is going after the wrong treasure. Jesus is teaching this man that, that there's a greater kingdom than his earthly kingdom. See, the man says, I, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? I have kept the laws. This is, this is a very me. I have done these things, and so I can achieve this. And Jesus is saying, no, you want to know what your achievements are? Go and sell them. Get rid of them. They're, they don't hold value, and let me give you something of way more value. And that's what he's going to teach us in the last part is that there, there's something of greater value ahead. There's a treasure worth pursuing. And he's going to teach this in the disciples' lesson. But Jesus doesn't call him to do something that Jesus hasn't done himself. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't that exactly what he's calling this young ruler to? Sell your possessions, give it to the poor so that you can inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus did that. When he left heaven and he came to earth, he was rich. He was in the glory of God. He left that and took on human form humbly in all the ways, growing up and going through the difficulties of life. And so that we could owe his riches. What is his riches? His righteousness, his goodness that he gives to us as he takes our sin upon him. 
And he takes it to the cross and he puts it to death and, he, he, and, he's, and he's buried with our sin. But the Bible says he's raised by the power of God. That sin is forgiven, that he's broken the power of the bondage of sin. And he gives us this new life in him. So he's not calling this guy to something that's, that's so radical that Jesus himself did not do this. He, he did exactly that. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. And so we have to remember that, that Jesus is our example for all these things in the way that we pursue him and live our lives for him. So there's a treasure worth pursuing. And the man walks away sadly. This is not the outcome we want. It's difficult for him because his possessions were great. He couldn't let go of those things to pursue the kingdom of God. So Jesus continues to teach the disciples that there's something greater here. There's a treasure worth pursuing. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. He tells them, this is a very difficult moment that you've seen because when people have wealth, they can rely on themselves. When we have everything that we need at our fingertips, it's hard to see our need for Jesus. I have, have taught that and taught that and taught that for all the years of ministry I, that I've been part of is that we need Jesus, that our hearts are broken, that we are born sinners, that we are desperate need for Jesus every day of our lives. Now, I remember a specific student coming to me one time, and he grew up in a, a church family. He was very plugged in. He was involved in everything that we did. And he was a good kid. I love this kid. He, he was somebody who, who was always doing the right things. But I knew, like, his, his relationship with Jesus was, um, man, like, there just was so much more to be offered for him. And, and that, that reading his Bible is not a thing. And, like, really paying attention when I'm teaching because he thought everything was just okay because he's always been there. And he honors God with his choices. Um, and so he just thought everything was fine. And I can remember the time where God began to work in his heart, and he finally came to me, and he confessed those things. He's like, Noah, he's like, I've always done the right thing. He's like, I've, I've, I've been at church. I go to all the events. I'm always, and he said, when you ask me to do something, I do it. And he said, I'm always doing the right thing. And he said, I'll be honest. He said, I never really knew that I needed Jesus in my life. Like, I always thought I've had him, so I don't have to worry about it. He said, but God is just working on my heart lately to show that I need Jesus. Like, I need to be desperate for him. Like, I need him in my life. And I watched God begin to work in his heart that summer. And, and then a few months later, him surrendered to ministry. Now he's involved in, in ministry and worship and, and le- leadership in a church. And it's just been amazing. It's because we have to all come to this place where we realize that we don't have all the answers. And we can't achieve these things on our own, no matter how good we think we are. Um, he says here, it's so difficult because when people have all that they need, they don't need God. That's what he's teaching them. And he gives them this example. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And this is not, there's so many ideas of what this actually means, but I really do think it just means that he, he thought of a, an animal that was big and one of the smallest things that, that people would recognize those two items. And he's saying, hey, this is impossible, right? Like, this is not going to happen for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But I love the second part of this. And they were, they were 
exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? If it's that difficult for rich people to go into the eye of the needle, then what do we do? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. See, in his kingdom, when Jesus is ruling and reigning as king of our life, he can do the work that, that we can't accomplish on our own. He is doing something greater. And that's the lesson he's teaching. That the, that's why we put our priorities in this way. That, that if we pursue Jesus, forsaking all else, deny ourselves, tape up our cross and follow him. It's the message of, of Mark is that we, we do all these things. Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and follow me. He called the disciples to give up their lives and follow them. In fact, Peter says, the next verse is, I mean, begin to say to them, see, we left everything and followed him. But this is where he teaches them that there's a greater treasure. He said, we've left everything. Peter says, hey, pat us on the back. Hey, we did a good job. Peter's great at this, right? Like, he, I think he's one of those guys that when he just gets silent, he has to say something. You know, that, that, that the, when it, no one else is talking, he's going to talk. Um, but his misunderstanding here is that see, we left everything. And followed you. We're doing this, Jesus, right? And maybe he's just saying, look, Jesus, what you've done in our own lives. But Jesus teaches them further. He says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. He says, you're going to receive so much more that the sacrifice that you make for following Christ, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. That's hard for us to understand because, man, there's some things that we can go and buy right now that sure will bring a lot of joy and pleasure to our lives. Um, I, <laughs> I had a kid that used to tell me all the time, um, whenever I'd teach on this, he'd be like, yeah, you're not supposed to treasure money or, or, you know, put all your faith in money or love money over God. He's like, but money will buy you a jet ski. And you've never seen somebody unhappy on a jet ski, right? <laughs> and that was, that was kind of his joke. He's like, hey, but money will buy you these things, and he's like, you've never seen somebody not smiling on a jet ski. That, 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 and that's kind of our world standard that, yeah, we, we believe what God's Word says, that we can't um, love money and God. We believe that, that, that teaching's there, but the reality of our heart is, but, but when we have money and we can buy the things we want, man, there's a lot of joy in that. There's a lot of things. I mean, that's why this guy walks away sad. That's why he, Jesus has to remind the disciples, yeah, you left some stuff, but let me tell you, the kingdom of God is so much more valuable. The pursuit of godliness and God's kingdom, there's so much more to be had in it. He doesn't say in the life to come, only in the hope and in, in, in heaven. But listen to what he says, now in this time, you will receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, lands, with pers- uh, persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So he says, now you'll get these things now and in the age to come. Let me just take on eternal life, salvation. Let me talk on the hope of the gospel that we get to be with Jesus one day. Um, and so he's saying that there's things happening now. And I believe that it's, it's speaking of, of the church in this context. There's some ideology here that, hey, you may be giving up some things with your family, but when you turn to God's kingdom family, man, you're getting brothers and sisters. You're getting people who, who will care for you houses and lands and those as we know in Acts chapter 2 where they were selling their possessions and giving to the poor and eating together and building up this this biblical community 
that there's something beautiful about that. And when we surrender ourselves to God and his kingdom family, and we're bringing in all of this to encourage us, to love us, to build us up, to do life with. That's the picture of, of biblical community right here, is that he says it's a hundredfold. I can't tell you how many people in this room have loved my children and been grandparents to them when grandparents have been far away, have taken care of them, who have, who have done things for them, and have bought presents and, and done superficial things, but more than that, have, have sought to show them love and kindness and teach them, have been that to us. Uh, when we're far away from family, all of our ministry, we've been far away from family, and we've had church family fill those roles and love us and, and, and care for us in this way. But he says there's, gonna, there's a hundredfold, so we're not really giving up when we pursue Christ and his kingdom. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the, and the last first. There's something that happens in the kingdom of God, and it's not lived according to the world's standards. It's in a godly standard. It's a godly perspective. It's a biblical perspective. And he says that the first um, will be last and the last first. So, Margaret, as, as you come, as we conclude this today, I want us to just ask ourselves a couple of questions. How do we need to confront the idols in our own hearts? How do we need to confront the idols of our own hearts? Are there things that we're pursuing? I know there are. There are. It's in all of us. There are things that we're all pursuing over Christ. And so maybe we just need to ask God to reveal those things to us and begin to, to pray and, and, and just walk through laying those things down, asking him to, to help us. So we're not walking away sad. So we're not missing out on the things that God has for us. Is there something holding you back today? Maybe, maybe there's somebody in this room that needs to fully surrender to Christ, that needs to pursue salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone. What's holding you back? What is it that you're not willing to surrender today? Is there something in your life that, that God is showing you? Pray, ask God to reveal those things to your heart and then pursue him. Don't do it because I'm standing up here telling you, but ask God to show you those things. Are our hearts just too easily pleased? Romans chapter eight tells us this. Sorry, I don't have that actually. Um, Matthew tells us this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust are destroyed and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's my prayer that we as a church always treasure Jesus. So that is the, the cry of our heart, that Jesus would be treasured for each one of us. That we would see that the, the stories like this would just reveal in our own hearts the things that, Lord, we need to lay down, the, the pursuits that we're going after that are not pursuing his kingdom. And we would treasure Christ above all. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Just the way it reveals things to our own hearts. God, I pray that we would 
surrender those things to you today, God, that we wouldn't let things um, get in the way of us just coming to you. Lord, the, the guy, he started out so well to come with you with the right posture. But Lord, don't let our, our heart, Lord, our sin and our brokenness, Lord, get in the way of our continuing to pursue you, Lord. So we just pray that we would lay these things down. God, we just ask that now that your word has, has been presented and, and, Lord, that we've heard it, God, that you would work through it. God, help us now to just um, hear from you. And, Lord, just respond as you have us to. We pray this in Jesus' name.